Good morning. My name is Wally Brath. I'm the Director of Worship Arts at Grace College and also uh, Interim Worship Director here at Winona Lake Grace Brethren Church. And as Pastor Kip said, we are going to be in a series on the Psalms, uh, probably once a quarter, so it could take us a few years, you know, to, to get through that. I don't know. The ways in which we worship affect what we believe about God. Worship is formational. We become what we behold. This is borne out in, uh, throughout Scripture. Uh, you see this in, in Isaiah. You also see it through the Psalms. Look at Psalm 115, verse 4. Their idols, or what they worship, what they desire, are silver and gold, the work of human hands. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. If you follow some of the leading voices in evangelicalism today, uh, D.A. Carson, Tim Keller, Kevin DeYoung, they have been writing articles recently that are, uh, they're very worried about the deepening secularism in the church. And they even call it a crisis of formation. And many of the antidotes that they put forward are, you know, uh, more conferences, um, you know, buying some resources from the Gospel Coalition, etc. But they don't really suggest that uh, there could be this deficiency in the ways that we worship that could be affecting this secularism. We become what we behold. Could the deepening secularism in the church be a result of her worship practices? Or as we explore this theme of spiritual formation uh, entitled, We Are What We Sing, um, we know that music involves more than, than worship. Uh, worship involves more than music. But the singing portion of our services uh, affect what we believe about God and how we respond to him. One of the effects of not reading or singing scripture more regularly in our services is that we begin to have a narrow view of God and how to respond to him. Songs are sung prayers, and many of our contemporary songs tend to be prayers of praise and adoration. Now, it's good to praise and adore God. That's a very biblical thing. But if that's the only kind of prayers that we sing, then one could get the impression that other prayer types are maybe not appropriate in worship. The Psalms cover every possible human emotion, and they show that we can bring them all to God in worship. They're legitimate. This is what John Calvin says of the Psalms. They are an anatomy of all parts of the soul, for there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. If you follow the satirical website, Babylon Bee, they're on social media, uh, they recently had an article that says, worship leader wishes God would just have left us an entire book of worship songs. If only. I'm glad that's not one of my students. That's probably a Taylor grad. Uh, the book of Psalms is divided into five smaller books, five sections. Um, and there's not really an internal evidence to how they're organized. They're, they're kind of based a little bit on authorship. David wrote uh, over 70 of them, and his tend to be towards the 
first two books of the Psalter. There's roughly seven psalm types. You can see those up on the screen. There's the hymn, which includes praise and adoration. There's the lament, and this is probably the, the trickiest one. This includes expressions of grief and sorrow, confession of sin, complaints against God. That's in the Bible. You can complain against God. Um, and even calling down judgment on God's enemies, which is a tough, tough one. There's a Thanksgiving psalm, psalms of remembrance, psalms of confidence, wisdom, kingship psalms. Now, it's interesting, the way the New Testament interprets the psalms, and even interprets all of the Old Testament, um, this, the book of Psalms is the most quoted book in the New Testament, interestingly enough. And the way that the New Testament deals, especially with the titles of anointed king or Messiah or son, they, they, they point to Jesus. Jesus himself looks at Psalm 118.22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and he appropriates it to his own ministry in Luke 20. And Jesus also shows on the road to Emmaus how the, the law, the prophets, and all the Psalms point to him. Well, let's look a little bit at Psalm 1. This is the doorway into the Psalter, and interestingly, it is a, is a wisdom psalm. We had just gotten, uh, we've just been through the book of Proverbs, and so we're kind of continuing that with this wisdom psalm. And the, the psalm begins, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So we see here, much like in the book of Proverbs, two paths. You have the path of the blessed one and the path of the wicked. And this word blessed in the Hebrew is, is, is in the plural. So it could be translated, oh, the many blessings or oh, the many happinesses of the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Jesus himself even opens the Sermon on the Mount in, in this way, blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those who mourn. Now this blessed individual is first characterized by what he does not do, and then he is characterized by what he does. And many commentators see this little progression in verses one and two, this walking and then standing and then sitting uh, as an effect of what happens when you listen to the folly of the wicked. And this actually kind of is a clue into Hebrew poetry in, in itself, because in Hebrew poetry, uh, they say things multiple times to enhance the meaning. We see this parallelism. But here we actually see something even more unique. We see, see three sets of triplets up on the screen there. You see that? Walking in the counsel of the wicked, standing in the way of sinners, sitting in the seat of scoffers. Now look at that middle column. Derek Kidner, he relates counsel to thinking. And he relates way to behaving and seat as belonging. So this idea of thinking and then behaving and then belonging. These almost like different degrees of distance from God. This is what happens when you immerse yourself in the way of the wicked. The psalmist then moves to the positive characteristics of the blessed one. But his delight is in the law of the Lord 
And on his law, he meditates day and night. Sounds so happy. C.S. Lewis, in his book on the Psalms, said, who delights in the law? I mean, really, who delights in any law? Usually, we delight in food and fellowship, but nobody delights in the law. In fact, we curse the law, don't we? I mean, I, I've never cursed the speed limit, but, but some people do that. You know, it's, it's not good. But um, it requires a, a heart change. You have to have a change of heart. God has to change our heart. And in fact, here's a clue in the psalm that this is, is pointing to Christ. He is the true blessed one. He is the one who delighted in God's law perfectly and who obeyed God perfectly. And he calls us to follow him. Notice also that it is both head and heart. It's a delighting in and a meditating on. You know, sometimes in our post-enlightenment culture, we, it's just all about kind of thinking thoughts about God or you come to church, you know, I'm going to kind of get a new, some new information about God. No, it's about a delighting in. It's our head and our heart together. Psalm 40, verse 8 says, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. So then what are these blessednesses? What, what is the result of this that the psalmist speaks about? Well, verse 3 says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. So here we see the blessed one is fruitful. He is fruitful. Think of the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And then in John 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and he prunes. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And then later in that passage, he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. This last verse here of gathering the branches and burning them, this is uh, very similar to some of the imprecatory language we see in the Psalms. Uh, Jesus is not afraid of using language of judgment. And again, verse 4 contrasts the blessed and the wicked. So compared with the fruitfulness of the blessed one, the wicked are like chaff that the wind just blows away. Jesus hits on this again uh, when he teaches on the wheat and the tares in Matthew 13. And then the final verse, the final verses reveal the fate of the wicked. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So if you rewind, go back to verse 1. If somebody is going to stand amongst sinners and amongst the wicked, and belong to them, and, and they're going to stay there. They will not be able to stand in the day of judgment. They will be cut, cut down. I'm so grateful for the gospel because none of us is worthy to stand in the judgment. Christ took our place. He's the one that stood in our place and took the sin that I deserve, that you deserve. 
and so that we can stand in the day of judgment. If you put your hope, if you put your trust in the finished work of Christ, you will be able to stand. You won't be cut down in the day of judgment. Thank you for the gospel. So when we look at Psalm 1, it teaches us that whatever grabs our hearts, whatever shapes our thinking, will ultimately fashion our lives. Whatever grabs our hearts and shapes our thinking will ultimately fashion our lives. The blessed one, the way of the blessed one involves delighting in and meditating on God's word. It's both the head and the heart. Our culture likes to think that there's no cost to sin, but Psalm 1 teaches that judgment is real. Judgment is real. So as we continue uh, over the course of many months and many years throughout, through the Psalms here, we want to deal with some larger questions of worship. What, what, how is, what is the impact? What are some things we really want to to be aware of as we want to grow in our expressions of worship. Well, the first would be, does our worship include both our words to God and God's words to us? You know, many times we do a lot of talking in worship, don't we? Uh, a lot of speaking about God and, and, and feelings, our feelings to God, but is there room in our service for reading, praying, singing God's word? Uh, a lot of times with students, when we look at planning worship services, I, there's a phrase I like to use, let God speak. Let God speak. And sp as we do speak to God, uh, are we using beauty and range of imagery and actions that the Psalms use? So when we do speak about God and to God, is it, is it biblical? I mean, are we using, uh, are we taking our cues from from scripture. Do we link praise and petition, lament and gratitude in ways that are honest, are honest to our life situation and bear testimony to God's faithfulness? If you were here last Sunday, Pastor Bruce, um, he shared about some trials and, and some very hard, painful things that, that his family is going through, but he also pointed us to God's faithfulness in the midst of that. So I think we saw that example beautifully last Sunday. Do we use language in worship that is deeply personal, but also communal? So our, our culture can be very individualistic, and the communal aspects of worship can teach us and even help us to, to love one another and to care and minister to one another as the body of Christ? Do we express the full range of human emotions before God in worship? We've, we've touched on this, how the Psalms do this. And if you're familiar with the band U2, uh, Bono and the pastor Eugene Peterson have an interesting series of videos that they do, uh, and they explore the depth and the breadth of the Psalms. And one of the critiques that Bono has on modern Christian music is that it just, he just doesn't see the breadth, uh, the, the emotional breadth that he sees in the Psalms. And he even calls sometimes Christian music a little dishonest for, for that reason. 
When we're dealing with anger or confusion or doubt, heartache, the Psalms teach us that we can bring all these situations and we can bring all these feelings to God in, in worship. We don't have to check them at the door. Worship is not designed just to kind of pump us up and, and make us feel good about God. It's, it's designed that we can bring, honestly bring all these things to God in worship. They're legitimate. The biblical Psalms teach us that prayer and worship, they're, they're not monologues. They're not just, I'm going to talk about God, but they're conversations with God. So do we experience this dialogue with God in worship? Levi Stout, he's a, one of our Grace College interns here at WL this fall, and you're, you're going to get a chance to, to hear him speak some point this semester. But in speaking team meeting this past week, he had an interesting observation. He said, the Psalms are an invitation to transparency in worship. They're, that's his phrase, an invitation to transparency in worship. I love that. That is so true. The ways that which we worship affect how we, what we believe about God. And, and worship is formational. We become what we behold. Let me, let me pray for us, and then we're going to transition into a time of the bread and cup. God, I'm so grateful uh, for Jesus, so grateful that we don't have to try to find our way blindly to you, but you have made a way that we can be your sons and daughters through Christ. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. And God, would you just continue to grow us as a church family? Lord, teach us more and more the ways that we can make worship God-centered and Bible-saturated and Christ-exalting and Spirit-led. God, grow us in this because we want to become fully devoted followers of Christ. And Lord, guard our hearts, the things that we love to go after. Guard our hearts from our own flesh and the world and the devil and God, capture our hearts and make them desire you and desire your ways. Do that work in us, we pray. Amen.